We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Listen, if you have never turned your back on your sin, if you have never hated your sin, grieved over your sin, renounced your sin, you have never been converted, no matter what your profession is. That's a bold statement to begin our program today. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are studying the 37th Psalm, and in that Psalm, David said in verse 27, Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. There is an unbreakable connection between repentance and salvation, but there is also a lot of confusion about that relationship. Repentance will not save us or even help us be saved, but we cannot be saved without it. Esau, for example, grieved over the consequences of his actions, but he wasn't saved. Yet Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Are you confused? That's okay. Here's Pastor Steve to help us sort it out. See, the biblical concept of repentance is that we turn from our sin. The word itself, repentance as used in the New Testament, literally means a change of of mind. However, it is always used in the sense of a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. In other words, a forsaking of sin. It is never a change of mind for the sake of changing your mind and leaving it at that. Just having a different opinion. Never used like that. See, repentance is not a minor issue. It is really at the core of the message of salvation because coming to Christ for salvation from sin involves turning away from our sin, the sin of living independently of God and running our own lives. This is why John the Baptist came on the scene announcing that the Messiah was about to come. He called people to salvation by calling them to repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Those exact words were the first words of our Lord in his own ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus commissioned his disciples to preach the gospel around the world, he told them that the message that they were to tell others was a message of repentance. Normally, when we think of the Great Commission, we think only of Matthew's gospel or maybe Mark's gospel, but Luke's gospel tells us something else in addition to what the other gospel writers tell us. In Luke chapter 24, Verses 46 and 47, listen to this. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus said our message is a message 
of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now you'll recall in Acts, Acts chapter 26, the apostle is under arrest. He's in Caesarea. King Agrippa comes and says, I'd like to hear about this man. So the apostle appears before King Agrippa to defend his ministry. And he explains to him how the Lord appeared to him and the Lord commissioned him to call people, note this, to repentance. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 19. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to this heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those at Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now, what makes this fascinating is that in the previous verses, the apostle himself defines what he meant by repentance. We don't have to guess. He tells us. If you look at verses 15 through 18, just prior to this. Now, remember, he's using the word repentance. I told people they need to repent and turn to God. But now, starting at verse 15, notice this. And I said, this is as the Lord appeared to him. I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's his ministry. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Now, I want you to just put this together because in Paul's thinking, in his mind, his message of repentance as he defines it was to call people to turn from the darkness of sin and Satan to the light of holiness and God. It is a turning away from sin. And we have a, an excellent illustration of this very thing happening in Paul's ministry in the lives of the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Paul says, I don't need to tell people about your faith. It's so obvious, it's so genuine, everybody knows about it. Verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Notice, involved in their salvation as they turned from their idolatry and turned away from that and they turned to the living and true God. Folks, that's repentance. So coming to Christ for salvation, understand this, it always, always involves Repentance, this turning away from what we know to be wrong in our lives. So we don't know everything. If we did, I have always said we'll have, we'd have heart attacks right then and there. But God shows us enough to convince us that we are wretched sinners. We turn away from what we know to be wrong in our lives because, understand this, you cannot have Christ as your Savior from sin if you want to continue in your sin. It's not even logical. Why would you want a savior from sin if you have no desire, no interest in turning from it? 
Listen, if you have never turned your back on your sin, if you have never hated your sin, grieved over your sin, renounced your sin, you have never been converted, no matter what your profession is. You have never been converted unless you have turned from your sin. See, repentance is not simply feeling sorry about what you've done wrong. Lots of people feel remorse over their sin, usually because they've been caught, but also because of its terrible consequences and the impact of their sin on others as well as themselves. And we should feel bad about our sin, but feeling bad about what we've done isn't the same thing as repentance. It can lead to repentance, but it's not the same thing. Repentance involves, and I'm stressing this, a turning away from your sin. That's why David said, depart from evil. Depart from it. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The apostle Paul had written a number of letters to the church at Corinth, and he had hurt them over his letters because they needed to be hurt. They were a, uh, a church that had all kinds of problems, and he was correcting them. So he says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, and I take it this is the letter we know to be 1 Corinthians. Some see it otherwise, but I take it as that. Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, notice this, it produces a repentance without regret. Meaning those who do turn from sin never say later, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I regret that I repented because I love my sin so much. No, it's a repentance saying good riddance to that. I don't want to be there anymore. It's a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. In these verses, Paul makes a distinction between the world's sorrow that leads to death. Why? Because there is no turning from sin in the world's sorrow. They just feel bad. There's remorse over their sin. He contrasts that with godly sorrow that leads to repentance, a forsaking of sin that has no regret. Glad that we did it. And, and I want you to notice that in, in commenting on the repentance of the Corinthians who were saved people, Paul was acknowledging that Christians repent. It's important to know because some people think that repentance is reserved only for our initial conversion. Oh, we repent and we believed in Christ, and that's true, but it's not reserved for that. It continues in the Christian life. In fact, it's repentance ought to be, and it is a very important part of a Christian's life. While salvation happens only once, at least conversion salvation, repentance is an ongoing part of our lives. As believers, every day we are constantly turning from our sin as the Holy Spirit makes us aware of the evil that still lurks in our hearts. Not just actions, but heart attitudes. The evil of pride, evil of selfishness, self-centeredness, jealousy, sensual lusts, 
malice, hatred towards others, slander, gossip, rebellion towards authority, and on and on and on it goes. This is why the New Testament, although not necessarily using the word repentance in every instance, nonetheless calls us to repent by calling us to change our behavior by turning from our sin. So listen, when we read in 1 John that John tells us to confess our sins to God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, meaning cleansing. He's talking to believers about that. He's not simply telling us that we are to tell God that we're sorry for what we've done wrong or that we only agree with God and then go right back to the sin. No, what he's saying is that we are to be so sorry that we will turn from this sin and make every effort not to do it again. That is repentance. It's David crying out in Psalm 51 to cleanse me of my sin with Bathsheba and what I did to her husband and making sure he was killed. It's turning from sin. It's not just, yes, I agree that it's wrong. When the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4 of his letter that they must put off the behavior that once characterized them in their unregenerate state and they are to put on the new self of a regenerate man, he's telling them without using the word, he's telling them that they must repent of their sin. And it's constant, it's ongoing. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, means the pagans, also walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind. He explains, here's what their minds are like, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become, watch this, they have become callous, Having given themselves over to sensuality, they're not even pricked in their conscience anymore for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But he says, you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And notice this, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, what he's saying is, at salvation, that's, that is what happened to you. But sanctification, daily progressive sanctification, requires you to put off the old baggage of your old habits and put on new habits of godliness. And so, starting at verse 25, going all the way to the end of the chapter, he keeps saying, put off, put on. I'll just read to you verse 25 as an example. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, because that's what we did when we were unregenerate. We were false in our, in our speaking. We lied. We exaggerated. We were misleading. We were deceitful. Laying aside falsehood, now put on truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Put off, repent, put on sanctification. So when David in Psalm 37 says to depart from evil, he's saying that those who are believers, and that's who he's writing to, they have to repent of their sin. Now certainly the Bible calls us to repent of any sin that we are aware of 
in our lives. However, the sin that was most glaring, the sin that was most prevalent in the lives of these people that he was writing to was the sin of envy and jealousy and anger. If you look at Psalm 37 again, I I already read to you verse 1, do not be envious toward wrongdoers, but verse 8 says, cease from anger, forsake wrath. See, what these people were struggling with was a covetous heart. They were longing for something that somebody else had. And covetousness, you know, it's a subtle sin. It's a sin of subtlety because it's easily concealed from others. Spurgeon said, I never have heard anybody ask for deliverance from covetousness. At least not publicly. It's a sin that's just not easily detected. Because why? It's an inner attitude. It's something inward. It's not an outward action. And the only way to turn from this attitude of longing for something that someone else has is to be content with what God has given you. And listen, the only way to be content, note this, is by recognizing that God is sovereign. God is sovereign and that whatever you have or whatever you don't have is what God has wisely ordained for your life. In John chapter 3, we have an excellent illustration of how to have a heart of contentment that is directly tied to a firm conviction in the sovereignty of God. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John, meaning his disciples came to John. And they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. I love that. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Now, what's going on here? John's disciples were jealous over the popularity of Jesus. John's disciples loved him. They didn't want anybody having more fame and popularity and more followers than him. They were trying to get John into a debate, a a contest with Jesus, to renounce Jesus. But John refused to let his disciples draw him into a rivalry with the Lord over who was baptizing more people because he understood that everything we have is a gift from our sovereign and wise and good God. Therefore, it is God's prerogative to give whatever he chooses to give us whether it be money or usefulness, fruitfulness for the Lord, popularity. So if some of us have less than others, it's because God has decreed that we have less than others. A man can have nothing unless it be given to him from heaven. Remember, it was John who said, he must increase, I must decrease. And really, folks, that's the way that all of us can overcome this temptation to covet what others have by believing that God knows exactly what he is doing in our lives, that he makes no mistakes, 
and that in his wisdom, he has sovereignly given us exactly what he wants us to have. Now, you may believe in the sovereignty of God, but you've got to believe your beliefs. It needs to become a conviction. So David tells us that as those who claim to follow the Lord, we are to depart from evil, all evil, and in this case, the evil of being covetous, but it's not only a forsaking of evil that's necessary for righteous living. That's just part of it. Because David goes on to tell us that in departing from evil, we are to do good. Verse 27, depart from evil and do good. So you will abide forever. Now the question is, what is the good that David is talking about here? He doesn't explain it. He doesn't speak of a specific good that he has in mind. He just says, do good. So what is he talking about? Well, going back to verse 3, he used the same phrase, do good, and there he does tell us what he means, which is what he means here. Notice verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. The good that David is referring to is the good of obedience to God and his law. This is why he ties it together with dwelling in the land, the land of Israel, cultivating faithfulness, which literally means feeding on God's faithfulness. It's not their faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness he's talking about. See, as I've told you in previous messages, in the context here, you have to understand this is written to Jewish people, Jewish people in Israel. God had made a covenant with Israel that if they obeyed his word, Leviticus 26, they would be allowed to continue to dwell in the land that he had given them, that is the land of Israel. And to feed on his faithfulness means to trust him to be faithful in keeping his word about them continuing or dwelling in the land. Now, in verse 27, David is telling us essentially the same thing, that we are to pursue a lifestyle of obeying God by doing what his word says. That's what he's talking about. The good is the good of obedience. This is most critical, most critical, because obeying the word of God is really the acid test as to whether or not someone is a true Christian. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that his sheep hear his voice and they what? They follow him. See, true believers desire to obey their Lord. And the general direction of their lives is to obey him. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the general direction, the desires to obey him. And when at times they don't obey him and they fall into sin, they don't stay there. They get up, they confess their sin, they repent, they get back on track. I once had a long, uncomfortable conversation with a friend who had become convinced that repentance is optional. He believed that one could trust Christ as Savior and not evidence any change in behavior. Well, that's not biblical, and it's not logical. In our unsaved state, we are at war with God. We are fighting tooth and nail to remain on the thrones of our lives. Salvation is a surrender, and we cannot surrender to God and still fight against Him. But once, by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have made that initial surrender we'll still tend to wander from God and need to confess and repent so that we can have unbroken fellowship with Him. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a daily study of the Word led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. If you'd like to help us keep these programs coming your way, we would be grateful for your participation. You can give online simply and securely. Just visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click the giving link for instructions. That's versebyverseradio.org. We also have a large selection of previous broadcasts available for download or streaming on the Message Archive page. And if you're in Clearwater on a Sunday morning and need a place to worship, Pastor Steve would like to meet you. You'll find Lakeside at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Check the website for service information. Go to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. I'm Jerry Peterson. On behalf of Pastor Steve and the Verse by Verse team, thanks for listening. If this study of Psalm 37 has helped you to trust more deeply in Jesus, we'd like to hear about it. You can call the number I just gave or send an email to contact at versebyverseradio.org. And the manager of this radio station would also be encouraged to hear from you. As Pastor Steve was explaining a few moments ago, in verse 27 of this psalm, David told his readers, Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. But we are not the original readers. The original readers were Jews living in the promised land. Since we do not live in the promised land, how does this verse apply to us as 21st century Christ followers? Next time on Verse by Verse, we'll consider how to apply that verse to our own lives. 